Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you and try to explain what the heck is going on. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now we're talking. You give this market enough fuel in the form of better-than-expected earnings from real companies, and you get a terrific rally like we had today, with the Dow gaining 153 points, the S&P climbing 0.41%, the NASDAQ falling 0.770. Oh, nice move, NAS. For a while now, I've been telling you that when we finally get to the point where we can focus on individual enterprises, we'd be surprised at how well these enterprises are doing. So far, so good. But next week's another jam-packed one with way too many earnings reports to keep track of, except for if you're me. So let me give you some highlights. Monday starts with what many people expect to be a downer of a quarter, but I'm all over it looking for a reason to buy it. That's ATT. Now, I'm thinking you might get a chance to buy this middling quality phone company. Yes, you heard me. With a safe 5.5% yield, once we scrutinize what's probably going to be bountiful cash flow that's coming from that Time Warner acquisition. We also hear from the one retailer that may disappoint because of Amazon. That's Walgreens Boots Alliance. It used to be also CVS, but I think CVS is now fine because they went and bought, they went and bought Edna. Then Alphabet reports after the close. Now, you know what? I can't recall the last time Alphabet reported a clean, terrific quarter. It's always so confusing. And after the not-so-hot numbers we got from Twitter, I fear we might be in for another head-scratcher. What really matters now, though? I care about one thing, one thing only, an acceleration in Google's cloud business. Any sign that Alphabet's taking share from Microsoft's Azure, oh, my, did they kill it? Or Amazon Web Services, believe me, it was better than all these naysayers said. Well, that would send this stock to all-time highs. That's what we need, cloud. Oh, boy, here's one we're going to hear from Beyond Meat, the once hot, burger stock that's recently gotten burned plummeting back to earth. I bet we'll be pleasantly surprised by the sales. But it won't matter because the lockup on insider sales is expected to come to an end on Tuesday. Once that day loses stock hits, you know what? I think that this company, $6 billion company, is going to have to be worth a lot less. Tuesday starts with MasterCard, symbol Ma. Given how much Wall Street liked the numbers from PayPal, wow, to see that again, it went up. And Visa, I think MasterCard will be able to deliver a priceless quarter. Let's just hope for this, a pullback on Monday so you can get in the stock 
for Tuesday. Then there's Merck, which got hit this week after Bristol-Myers told us about a successful oncological trial that might make them a tougher competitor to Merck. But when Merck reports, I actually expect to see something close to perfection, another buy ahead. Next, how much is General Motors really losing per day? Might as well listen to the call and find out. I remember a time when a strike at GM could send our whole economy reeling, maybe into a recession. Now it's a yawner. And we care more about Tesla's earnings, which were oddly better than expected. We also get results from Kramer fave Shopify, which helps small businesses set up an e-commerce presence. I bet it delivers a clean, solid beat. We've got dispatched also from uh, delivery guru Grubhub. Now, this is important. Uh, I don't think there's enough room for Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, and Postmates. These companies are bashing their heads against each other, which is why I predict... Pain! After the close, we hear from AMD. If Intel's doing as well, and we sure know it does, what a move today in that stock. That means, well, you should go buy some AMD. It was not up enough ahead of the quarter. We know Intel had a hard time meeting demand for all sorts of chips, including processors that are AMD's bread and butter. So, of course, data center. I am a big believer in CEO Lisa Sue. So I recommend you buying some AMD next week, particularly if we get some sort of negative tweet or some sort of nonsense about being worried about the Fed. That's probably going to happen. If these numbers are good, then by the time Wednesday goes around, I expect to hear our uh, commenters saying, you know what, Jim, this company did well, this company did well, this company did well. And all last week, they gave me the well, so you know what's going to happen? The Federal Reserve doesn't need to cut rates. That's garbage. We have enough industrials that are struggling, and we know the dollar's way too strong. A rate cut is exactly what we need to turn around the automakers and allow our exporters to compete fairly globally. If we get it, the market should roar again, and I do believe we will get it. Our rates are simply too high versus the rest of the world. Do not let any of these people, the pointy heads, tell you otherwise. Uh, our Fed chief, Jerome Powell, secretly does know it. Maybe he comes out and says it's true. After the close, we have the most important uh, particular element of earnings season because both Apple and Facebook report. Now, I can't stand it when Apple stock runs up into the quarter, and lately it's been on a wild gallop. I've been telling you to own Apple, don't trade it for years. I've been right. But if the stock's going to rally after the quarter, you know what? The company's going to have to do a series of things to make that happen. Raise numbers considerably. Talk about strong credit card adoption. That's that tra- deal with Goldman. Uh, give us hours upon hours of programming and break out the AirPods and watch as separate businesses so we can see the big service stream tall order. I wouldn't be surprised if Apple actually falls short and the stock ends up pulling back to give you a better entry point. Hey, how about Facebook? Fortunately, the Mr. Zuckerberg goes to Washington phase is over. The one where he dutifully played the role of pinata. And now we can get back to business. I'm expecting really good things here, especially about Instagram, which is why I like the stock ahead of the quarter. Chapel Trust owns this and Apple. Thursday morning, we hear from Bristol Myers. That's the one reinvigorated cancer immunotherapy drug that's merging with Celgene. Uh, it's a huge player in the oncological space. I think it's going to tell an excellent tale when it reports. While Bristol Myers has run this week, I recommended buy in any weakness. Went up to 55, too high. That's how confident I am about the pharmaceutical powerhouse that Kramer Fave CEO Dr. Giovanni Caforio is putting together with this deal. I have championed it from when the stock was at 45 when they announced the Bristol-Celgene combo. A lot of people are fretting about Estee Lauder here. They're worried that this will be the quarter when CEO Fabrizio Freitas' winning streak finally runs out and his company misses the numbers. After all, Estee Lauder's got a lot of exposure to Hong Kong and mainland China. But most of these doubters have never had the privilege 
of meeting Freda, a brilliant executive. He's figured out how to harness the smartphone, the ca- the camera portion of it, even like the three cameras in the new Apple phone and social media, which make people feel like that they need to look beautiful every second of the day in case they get caught in a photo that appears on Snap or on Instagram. I think Estee Lauder transcends trade barriers, which is why I buy some both before and after the quarters announced. How about Friday? We hear from the two best oil companies, Exxon and Chevron. I bet they'll show you that it really doesn't matter, though, what a fossil fuel producer says. Nobody cares. You need to recognize that the oil and gas category has become the new coal with the millennial money managers. Money managers, they just won't own these. Just watch how Wall Street reacts to these numbers. I think these stocks may be finished unless you're an income-seeking investor who believes that their yields are safe and doesn't mind that they won't be able to grow in a stagnant oil environment, which I suspect is actually going to last for years to come. Bottom line, listen, there are dozens of other companies that I didn't get to opine on here because we simply don't have the time. I wish more executives would be willing to spread out when they report dates, but I've been begging that for years and nothing's changed. Still, after the genuinely better-than-expected numbers we saw this week, I'm confident about next week. Even if the day loser of earnings reports means I won't be able to get, let's say, one whit of sleep next week. Instead, I'm going to grab a couple of naps in the green room. Herman in Texas. Herman! Hi, Joe. How are you, Jim? I am good, Herman. How about you? Well, I'm fine. I'm calling about Twitter. It has been as high as 45, and then they reported terrible earnings, and it's down to 30 now. But it's part of the lexicon now. I mean, we use Twitter like we used to use Xerox. As a name, and I was wondering if there was any uh, a good entry point. I thought it was tempting all day today, Herman. I really did. I said, "Okay, enough is enough." What hurt the stock uh, more than anything else in the world was attitudinal. They sounded so down that you felt like, "Wow, I mean, maybe it's not as good." I think that you can uh, you can start buying here, but they need a um, let's say a cheerleader in chief there. Because, wow, it was just so negative that even I, a big Twitter supporter, said, mm-mm, no way, no how. Marla in Mississippi. Marla. Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, first, thank you so much for diligently doing your homework to produce such a great show. Thank you. Um, my question concerns shares of the bankrupt utilities company, PG&E. Yeah. The shares... Yeah, the shares plummeted again today upon speculation. Its, sta- its tower sparked another California wildfire. In light of the prospect of additional liability, do you think the company can successfully emerge from bankruptcy and be a good ma- mad money investment, or is it too hot to touch? I think too hot to touch, and it wouldn't be the common stock. I remember when uh, Lilco had a problem with the old Long Island lighting, and you had to buy all sorts of other pieces of paper other than the common stock. I, I, the common stock here just does not intrigue me. I'm sorry, but I you know, like the concept, but it doesn't intrigue me. Let's go to Michael in Florida, please. Michael. Hey, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I am Who's good, that? Michael. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I'm calling about Bed Bath & Beyond today, BBBY. Uh, they're getting a new CEO. He takes over November 4th from uh, Target. Right. Uh, I'm in the stock about 12 bucks, and it closed today at 14.27, right. down five cents or so. Uh, I'm in, I'm up about 20 percent. 
should I should, should I take profits? No, no, you should not take profits. I've been working all week on trying to do a real good piece about this company and this stock and this executive and why this plan is going to work. I know it's very controversial, but I think that the activists have gotten the team together correctly. This is a stock that I don't want you selling. I think it could return to 1819, and that's when we will address whether it's time to take some profits. This week showed us what can happen when we finally get to focus on what real companies are doing rather than just the indices in the bond market. And next week could have the same fate. Oh, man, tonight, American Airlines is flying high after earnings today. But can its turbulent market and its Boeing problems make it so that it can get out of what some people think is a stock tailspin? We're going to sit down with the CEO. Then, are, uh, are you buying what Honeywell is selling? I'm explaining why Hole's not well with Honeywell spinoffs. And Sally Korchak was one, really, one of the most influential people on Wall Street. I didn't say woman, but, but people. But now she's looking to help women break down in the walls, they break down the walls they face. I do not want you to miss my exclusive with the co-founder of Elevest. I am telling you, you must watch it. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Is it finally time to get more constructive on the airline stocks? Despite low fuel prices and strong consumer, the airlines have been struggling for most of the year. Some of that is due to Boeing 737 MAX catastrophe. Some of it's due to tough labor negotiations. And some of it comes down to competition. But even so, I mean, these have been especially hard hit. Take American Airlines. With a stock that's down nearly 50% from its highs in January 2018, yesterday American did something pretty interesting. Put in mixed quarters, uh, let's say a small top line miss, a decent bottom line beat, and management cut their full year earnings forecast. Guess what? Instead of going down, the stock actually rallied 4%. And by the way, another 4.9% today. You know when a stock runs on not-so-hot numbers, what that is? That's called a bottom. Plus, American told a great story on the conference call. After more than a decade of colossal capital spending, first on the integration of U.S. Airways, and then on buying scores of new planes, the company can now get away with spending, a, let's say, a lot less, start to delever that balance sheet. So could the stock have more to run? Let's take a closer look with Doug Parker. He's the chairman and CEO of American Airlines. Learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Parker, welcome back to Bad Money. 
Good to see you, sir. Have a seat. Good to see you. Uh, I was so heartened on the call because you're solving labor problems, which you said is a must. Right. You're talking about urgency in making the shareholder, uh, let's say, do, make much more money. Right. But you're also saying that the because of the end of the big spend, now you can start returning, deliver, maybe even buy back stock. It's the right moment. It is the right moment. Uh, look, you know, we, we, we've had to invest mm-hmm. and, you know, we merged two airlines that hadn't been invested in for a long time. Uh, we had to go get a we had to go modernize our fleet. Um, we merged these airlines in 2013. Over six years, we spent 30, 31 billion dollars in CapEx um, for an airline our size, even our size. That's a, that's never been done before. But, uh, but so but we had to do it. So now and now it's behind us, though. Uh, we now have the youngest fleet in the business. We now we don't have those needs. Um, and it falls off pretty precipitously. So after averaging $5 billion a year in CapEx for the last six years, it falls off to, to around 3 and a half next year, about $2 billion the year after that. What that means is even if we don't grow our earnings in the next two years, which, by the way, that would be a horrible miss for us. Right. We, 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 we certainly believe we can grow earnings in the next two years. But just for an, for an analysis, keep the earnings flat. Okay, uh, but we'll, we'll have $5.5 billion in free cash flow. No, there is an elephant in the room, though. Yeah. And the elephant in the room is, is that you say, Boeing shareholders should bear the cost of Boeing's failures, not American Airlines shareholders. And you said it could be $540 million pre-tax that they could owe you. Do they have the ability to even pay it? That's for, them to, that's for them to figure out. Um, they owe it, look, right? They owe it. I do. do. Right. That's our view. Um, you know, again, you know, we're a customer, yeah. uh, and uh, they haven't provided the service that uh, they were that they were to provide their customers. They 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 know that, um, and the, the reality is, uh, this the we've already borne uh, all sorts of damages to our customers, to our team, uh, and to our shareholders. Certainly, the shareholder piece um, should be borne by the Boeing shareholders, not the American well, Airlines. What happens when you say that to them? Do they say, "Hey, listen, you'll give us a chance," or that doesn't seem right, or? Are they just saying, yes, you are a customer and the customer is always right, which you and I know is what they should be saying. Yeah. And again, they haven't said they haven't said we're not right. OK, um, right. so what, what, what they've said is we need to talk. Uh, we've, we've had preliminary negotiations. They're hard to have final nego- negotiations right. until you know what the real damages are. Right. And we don't know what the real damages are until the aircraft is back flying again. So that's what's most important, of okay. course. Um, but I do feel good about the fact that once we when, once we are able to get down to brass tacks, uh, that they will come to the table and be prepared to do what's right. OK, I fly American Airlines quite a bit and I have never been on a fully on a, a plane that wasn't completely full where I hear it being. So the people I'm with always turn to me and say, Jim, I've got to buy this stock. This I've never been on American Airlines that wasn't totally full. What do you say to those people that give them the stocks down 50 <laughs> percent? They should buy the stock. <laughs> Because there's labor issues, yeah, there's competition. Like, look, people we, don't see the full picture when they look at that full plane. Yeah, and, and, and what people paid to be on the plane. Uh, in some case, you know, it's, a, it's an incredibly intensive competitive business. Uh, you know, a lot the fares are, in many cases, um, you know, if, if the entire airplane was full of the lowest fare, we wouldn't come close to covering the cost of the travel. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's competitive and it's, our, it's a tough business. That's OK. We're OK with that. But it, it feels a lot better of late. Um, and demand for air travel is really high uh, and strong and continues to be. So we feel very good about the future. I think finally on this call, I'm starting to hear you're catching up. Digitization. You're starting to catch up to the rest of the world in terms of what companies have done with technology. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, 
we, we have we have a lot of a lot of uh, initiatives going forward. Right. Um, and, in, and in some sense, you're right. We're catching up with the rest of the world. When you when you integrate two airlines, uh, it, yeah. it, it, it sets you back on your technology because we had to take two systems and make them one. Um, so we had to integrate, not innovate uh, was the unfortunate phrase we had to keep saying to ourselves during that period. Now we're back to where we can innovate. And we have a phenomenal team who does a, who's doing that incredibly well. And we're making changes um, almost every month. There's a new innovation coming out of our team uh, that this helps our customers and helps our airline. Uh, like many people in the country, I've made my Thanksgiving plans and I've made uh, my Christmas plans, some include American Airlines. Thanks. Uh, is, uh, is it because things are robust, it's already too late for a lot of people? Where are we? What, what's that? Well, I mean, how big, you guys are really busy already, right? No, no, yeah. You're booked your book solid for a lot of flights already, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Of course. Um, yeah. Because the uh, consumer's good. Precisely. I mean, the, the demand is really strong. It's always strong over the holidays, of course. Right. Um, but it's demand is strong in, in, through all periods, through, through all regions for the most part. Um, not, everything that we, that we can see, anyway, our, our, our horizon in that. Great. People don't purchase their tickets, you know, particularly far in advance. But, you know, we're, we're also a leading indicator. And all we're seeing is an increasing demand for, our, for travel. All right. So in the time left, let's just talk about the Boeing situation. One, are you going to say, do your pilots want massive retraining on the new plans? Our pilots are, are heavily involved okay. in this process with the FAA and Boeing. Um, and, of course, they're gonna, we're going to make certain they will make certain. And there's, okay. no, there's no American Airlines pilot who's not going to fly an airplane if they don't feel adequately trained. So, of course, they will be adequately trained. Okay. And then my, my wife, Lisa, asked me to ask you this. Yes. She said, ask Doug whether he would be willing to put Gwen, Jackson, Luke, and Eliza on a max. Absolutely. Um, and they'd be happy to go with me. So, look, it, tell me, because people are saying, listen, I don't know, I don't want to be able to this, but why were you happy to put your, your kids and your wife on that plane? If an American Airlines pilot has decided it's okay for, for he or she to take that plane up, I'm okay to go. Uh, we have the best pilots in the world. Uh, they, they, they understand the aircraft that they're going to fly. They'll never take up an airplane that they don't think is entirely safe. Um, and once they are to that position, which will mean, by the way, that the FAA, uh, which right. is the arbiter of safety throughout the world, um, and, is, and is taking this, obviously, incredibly seriously. So the FAA will have certified it, and an American Airlines pilot will have decided that it's safe for he or she to pilot. We're on. That's the first time I felt good about this. First time. All right. Thank you. Okay, that's Doug Parker, Chairman and CEO of American Airlines. This stock's right. Mid Money's back after the break. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Roughly a year ago, longtime Kramer fave Honeywell 
broke itself up into three separate companies. Spinning off their auto parts business as Garrett Motion and their climate control slash home security business as Residio. Since then, I've been following the situation pretty darn closely, both because I own Honeywell for the Travel Trust. Oh, you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. And because, you know, I love these breakup stories. I always feel they create good value. However, some spinoffs are a lot more enticing than others. Sometimes a big conglomerate breaks itself up because it's sitting on an underappreciated asset that's not getting enough respect from them, not enough attention. Other times, though, you spin out a division because it's struggling and you want to wash your hands up. And that's what Honeywell did here. They washed their hands of the super cyclical auto parts and climate control divisions, residential kind. The new, leaner, meaner Honeywell can focus on aerospace, non-residential construction, and industrial software, which are more consistent end markets. That was a brilliant call. In the last few months, Garrett Motion and Residio have been hammered, with Residio in particular just getting entirely obliterated this week in a fashion that I didn't think was possible. Now that we've had a year to observe these three, uh, these new uh, independent companies, I think it's worth giving them another look, uh, along with Honeywell itself. So have the spinoffs come down to the point where they're attractive here? No. Let me make this crystal clear. Honeywell's a very smart company run by the brilliant Darius Adamczyk, and you don't want to be buying what he's selling. If he didn't want exposure to autos and climate control here, then maybe you shouldn't want it either. Let's take a look at them one by one, starting with Garrett Motion, which makes components for the auto industry. It's always been the best in its industry, believe me. They sell turbochargers, which I always loved when things were good in the auto industry. There's the best, electric boosters, and some software for cars and trucks, always considered to be the gold standard. Now, Garrett had the misfortune of being spun off right into the market-wide meltdown at the end of last year. The stock plunged from $18 and change in October all the way down to $11 by early December. After that, it briefly got its groove back. By late April, Garrett traded at $19.71. But then it rolled over again, and it hasn't really looked back since, sinking to $9 and changes up today. The darn thing's been cut in half over the last six months. No wonder Honeywell wanted it out. I think the weakness here actually makes a ton of sense. Garrett's an auto parts company, and the auto industry's in dire straits, not to be confused with the banned dire straits, because Ford and GM definitely are not the sultans of swing. GM reports next week, but Ford the other night was just not so good. If we're building fewer cars, of course, Garrett's going to sell fewer turbochargers. For a while, the stock appeared to be cheap, but this was one of those what we call value trap situations that you often find right before a cyclical downturn. For instance, at the end of March, Garrett looked like it was selling at just four times earnings. And that should have been, though. See, what that is, is a huge red flag. Oh, I have to throw a yellow flag because I'm on the wrong side of the thing here. I'll throw a yellow flag. Um, stocks simply don't get that cheap unless Wall Street genuinely believes that the estimates are about to be, be crushed. In July, sure enough, Garrett reported a hideous revenue shortfall and slashed its full-year organic growth. And now the stock, what can I say? It has become a total punching bag. Here we go. We know Garrett reports again in two weeks, and I doubt you'll like what you hear. Why not? Because last month we learned that the CFO, Chief Financial, will be leaving the company to, quote, pursue other interests. You hate to see a top executive leave after just one year as an independent company. Even if this particular executive has been doing a bad job of forecasting where the business is headed. It's just not a sign of confidence. For the moment, Garrett's a show-me story in an awful market. We need to see some evidence of a turn in the auto industry before we can think of owning this one. I don't see such a turn. 
How about this Residio, the uh, maker of home con- climate control and security systems? Okay, just like Garrett, this thing got hammered right after the spinoff because the market was rolling over. The stock traded, uh, started trading at 28 bucks before sinking to $19 at its lows. Unlike Garrett, though, Residio didn't get much of a bounce, climbing to 26 at its highs in February. For the next eight months, the stock gradually worked its way down to $15 as the company posted a series of not-so-hot quarters, which brings us to Tuesday night when Residio pre-announced a stunning shortfall and the stock collapsed, plunging nearly 40% the next day to nine bucks and change. With our current ultra-low mortgage rates, you'd think they'd have a winner here. You'd think business might be getting better for a company that's linked to the red-hot housing market, at least judged by the soaring housing stocks. Nope. Residio pre-announced some awful numbers for the third quarter, as well as slashing its full-year forecast. Even worse, we learned... Yep, that the chief financial officer of this one's leaving, too. It's almost comical how both Honeywell spinoffs are losing their CFOs here. Management's so worried that they told us that they're conducting a comprehensive operational and financial review. That's not something you do when times are good, and it's something they should have thought about before they spun it off. Turns out Residia is having some serious company-specific issues. Their legacy portfolio of thermostats and security systems are a bit dated. Much less attractive in a world where everyone wants connected versions of the stuff from Google or Amazon, Residia is developing their own smart systems, but they carry lower margins and the rollout's been marred by execution problems. That said, housing is a much better end market than autos. I think Residia stock is genuinely cheap here, but management can't seem to get out of their own way. My view, don't even consider buying this one until we see some sign that management has a plan, a plan to turn things around. After catching up with these two spinoffs, I have even more respect for the actual stock, Honeywell, the parent. Getting rid of Garrett and Residio right at those uh, uh, moments where the economy had peaked, that was brilliant. Right now, Honeywell is one of the best performing uh, industrials out there. It's up 30% for the year in an environment that's been tough on the industrials. They'd be doing much worse if they had held on to the housing and auto divisions. Instead, they're in surprisingly good shape. Last week, Honeywell reported a robust quarter, a nice earnings speed with a small revenue miss, but mostly okay guidance. Was it perfect? No, but it was Naboth. That's right. Not as bad as feared. They saw strength in aerospace, strength in commercial fire products, strength in process solutions, and strength in industrial software. Oh, and the two spinoffs have been terrific for their margins. That's why the stock caught fire in the news, rising from 163 before it reported to 171 today. I actually think it's got more room to run. That's what I'm telling club members. Bottom line, I love it when a company breaks itself up to unlock value for shareholders. But not all breakups are the same. Sometimes you spin off a fabulous business so that it can get an independent valuation. Sometimes you amputate the underperforming divisions that are holding everything back. When Darius and Damchek split the older Honeywell into three separate entities, it was an amputation. He cut out housing and autos to save the rest of the business, and it worked. That's why Honeywell remains a buy, but Garrett and Presidia will stay in the penalty box until they figure out how to turn themselves around. Richard in New York. Richard! Richard! Sir James, thank you kindly for taking my call. Of course. Uh, and I thank you for my family for making a difference in our life. Yes. You yes. And that's a big damn deal. But anyway, I'm interested in a now stock and to play for a long, play for the long haul. And I was wondering if General Dynamics is the play, especially with all the distraction with Boeing. No, it's United Technologies, which is going to be uh, combining with Raytheon and spinning out their aerospace business, which is going to be the premier aerospace business in the world. So I want you to go with 
United Technologies. Look, this is a tough one. I mean, breaking up is supposed to, is hard to do, but in Honeywell's case, it's a sign to steer clear of two companies that actually are the good companies that are interesting. Garrett is the best turbocharger. Residio may be the stuff stated, but it may be someday. I don't know. Honeywell self fell. Oh, it's got room to run. Much more mad money ahead. Women retire with two-thirds the money of men and live six to eight years longer. So how does it impact the way they invest? I'm asking LFS CEO Sally Krawcheck. Then after a busy week of well-received earnings, is it time to take the recession off the table? I'll tell you what I'm seeing. And what you're calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When I heard this was National Business Women's Week, there was one woman I just had to have on the show. Sally Krawcheck, the legendary former CEO of Merrill Lynch's wealth management business. Now, she's got a new job as the founder and CEO of Elevest. It's a privately held digital investment advisor designed around women. This is the number 45 on CNBC's Disruptor 50 list. The idea here is that the whole industry was designed around men. You might think this stuff would be naturally gender neutral. Uh Uh-uh, big differences. For example, women tend to live a lot longer than men, which means they've got you got to put uh, different thoughts entirely toward retirement. That's a brilliant concept, which is why Elvis has been growing like a weed. So let's check in with Wall Street legend Sally Krawcheck, the co-founder and CEO of Elvest, and a personal friend and an icon, too, to learn more about how her disruptive company is getting more women involved in money management and taking care of themselves and taking control of their finances. Sally, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. I'm so happy to be here. If I'd known they were going to do the disruptor, I would have brought the Disruptor socks that y'all sent out. Do you know you sent out disruptor socks? I did socks? not know that. Because Next time. what says disruptor more than socks? I, you know what? You stu- got me stumped there. I, I can't no, think so. Nothing. When I heard about you, what you were doing, and, you know, I'm a fan and a friend, I said, it's about time. Mm. And it's the right time, isn't it? Well, I appreciate that. When I thought about doing it, and when people said to me, gosh, you should start an investing platform for women, my first thought was, that is such a really not very good idea. Women don't need their own thing. You know, there are plenty of options out there. And then the more I thought about it, when I realized it doesn't matter whether I think women need their own thing, the numbers were telling me that we do. Yeah, it seems like that there is uh, the ratio of women in the world versus mm-hmm. versus women in this industry is particularly bad. Oh, my gosh. It um, it is a male dominated business. I mean, the vast majority of financial advisors are men, call it 85 percent. The vast majority of mutual fund management, 90 percent. The vast majority of mutual fund money, 98 percent of mutual fund dollars are run by men, despite the research that tells you women are as good, certainly not worse, investors than men. I think. And, you know, I believe this, that there is inherent discrimination in our industry. Look, Jane Frazier, terrific mm. banker, mm. just now yep. uh, elevated. Maybe one day a woman will run a major bank. Isn't this in, in, in 2019 crazy? But here's, here's, the, here's the crazier part about it, which is that Wall Street as an industry is all about no emotion, just the facts. Ch- let's go after returns, highest risk adjusted returns. No offense, cream rises the top. And yet it hasn't tapped into a really very powerful means of driving greater performance, which is cognitive diversity, which is often driven by diversity of gender, background, perspective, etc. So here you have this, in theory, pure meritocracy that 
is not at all diverse. All right. So let's say I sign yeah. up with you. And yeah. apparently, what, growing a, a tremendous amount per month. So I want to be part of the yeah. army, of Sally's Great. army. What do I get? Where do I start? Well, we take men, too. I okay. love to say on our digital side, our investing algorithm simply kills you sooner. Right. Um, and, and, and sadly, has you earn more. And so, you know, we have a digital offering, which is where we started, which is an online experience tailored to women in explicit ways, such as this gender awareness right. of, of life expectancy, but in some sort of smaller ways, too. For example, we learned that men will invest through verbiage jargon that they're like, mm -hmm. I don't quite know what that is. Here, I, you know, let me go. Right. Women, whoa, let me, let me get out the old finance dictionary. Mm -hmm. And we have about a thousand little differences. So we have a digital business. We also now have a high net worth business yeah, where we have so financial good. advisors who are engaging with women and our allies as well. Now, uh, because you know my family, my situation, uh, my wife was at one point an ex-wife, mm -hmm. as you know, and I felt that ex-wives in particular are treated as if they are, I'm going to say a pejorative term, dopes yeah. by the male men in the industry. This seems like a 50% of the marriages end in divorce. Lots of smart women mistreated because it's like, oh, well, she doesn't know anything. You could be an antidote to that. Well, we, I don't know that I would agree with every word that just came out of your mouth. What I would say is that for us as women, we have society has really said, you're, yeah, you're not that great with money. Let the man manage it. Right. 90% of women manage their money on their own at some point in their lives. When women outsource it to their spouse or partner, 75% have a negative surprise when that money management comes back to them. And so for some women, what the existing offering works just fine. Right. But there is, a, there is a big need there for an offering that's really focused on women. Now, people are listening to this and they're saying, well, you know what, I, I, how do I get shares in Elvest? Yeah. Because this <laughs> Sally Krawcheck, it's total winner. I really like this idea for the company. But it's not yet, right? No. And we're, we're venture funded. Uh, we started from a dead standstill a couple, now, I guess, three years ago, almost three years ago. Um, we've got some great investors in our company. We tried to be truly mission aligned from who our investors are to what we do. So Melinda Gates, Pivotal hmm. Ventures is one of our investors. Penny Pritzker, PSP Capital, Rethink Impact, a number of the all-raise venture capitalists who are part of that Me Too right. movement, the female venture capitalists out there, Rethink Impact, a large gender lens mission-based investor. So we're trying to really sort of walk the walk as well as talk the talk and, and be very mission-based because, one, it's, it's great and fun to do, but about the most powerful thing you can do to help a society and an economy is get more money in the hands of women. Empowerment. Which is why for so many of your viewers who... I'm guessing, or quite a few of them are male, they may say, why do I care? You care because of this mission. You also care because for the next generation, there's not one of us, no, no matter how traditional you are, that wants our daughters to have less money than our sons. Right. And this gender investing gap is costing our daughters hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars. And for the dads out there, you do not yep. want nope. your daughter caught in a job where she's being chased around the desk. Same. You, right? And you know you that's want her my to be situation. Out. And I worry every minute about it. And you know, know what? My mission is to have you on as much as possible. How about that? There we go. All I right. like that mission. That's Sally Korczak. She's the co-founder and CEO and a heroine of mine, or say, can I say hero? Yes. Of Elevest. Yes. Bad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the 
And then the lighting rounds are, are you ready, Ski? Dad, over the lightning round, because we're going with Casey in California. Casey. Booyah. Casey Weston from San Jose, California. Great to have you. Jim, I've been a fan of yours since I was 14 years old. See, I love that. I love that. Go ahead. I've owned microchip technology for 10 years. It's been stagnant for the last two years. Yeah. Is it a sell or a hold? Um, it's too much, honestly. It's too much like Texas Instruments. I want you to make the switch and go into NVIDIA, even though it's had a run. Marvell, if you think that NVIDIA's had too big a run. Greg in Florida. Greg. Hi, Kramer. Booyah. Booyah. I just woke up from a coma and sweet baby Jesus. I lost $100,000 on Del Taco from their recent earnings report. Should I keep it or sell it? You know, it, it can go for a bounce, but the whole restaurant group is under a lot of pressure. When McDonald's stock can go down 15 straight points, I do not want to be in Del Taco. Greg in Arkansas. Greg! Good afternoon, Jim Kramer, and a big Arkansas Razorback booyah to you, sir. Now you're talking. What's happening? Uh, Jim, I wanted to know what you thought about a great company in my home state, Tyson Foods. I think Tyson Foods is doing a remarkable job. They've got the protein. It's the protein story. Stock has down, come down a lot. I think it's an interesting level. By the way, can I just say that their pea-based chicken tenders are dynamite. Let's go to Bernice in Nevada. Bernice. Oh, Jim. Bernice. Yes, I'm here. Okay, you're up. Okay, Jim, I love your show. Thank I'm you. totally addicted to it. Wow. I've got a question, though. Okay. I bought Chewy in July. I paid $34 for it, and I'm seeing it going the other way. What is your opinion well, on it Well, the problem now? is, uh, Bernice, what's happened is that the market has gone away from the companies with fast growth and no worries, and that's Chewy. I think if Chewy goes up even a little bit, I think you should get out of position. There are many other. Look, if you're going to be in that, might as well go be in Amazon, which was down 130. I said to buy it down 130, closed uh, less than 130. And that's a better stock to be in. Jamie in Texas. Jamie. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, you're welcome. My question, my question is on progressive insurance. Uh, their third quarter net premium on policy enforced growth looks solid. Earnings per share was also a beat. Yet the stock performance is off 14% since July. What's your take on progressive? It's an uninvestable situation. The insurance stocks, ever since Travelers blew it, no one wants to touch them. It's, it's really too bad. They're not bad. But I don't want to touch them. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This is a big but, uh, sir, mix a lot, but is there like a Toronto Raptors game today? Maybe we could watch that. I wish I had a picture of Da Vinci for those who are not. Where's the picture of Da Vinci? Well, I was naturally miffed. It was a mythic. Human sacrifice. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria! I love index funds. I love index funds. I love index funds. I love index funds. Marsha! Tom, you can't see the show, but I have a dunce cap on. I feel like a complete idiot. I should be sentenced to be in the corner, and I should also have to write on the blackboard a thousand times. I am an idiot. I'm going to have to spend this whole darn period with my dunce cap on.
Have we finally taken the possibility of a recession off the table? After this week, it sure feels that way. On top of the lessening of the trade tensions with China, potential maybe even for Brexit resolution, and the high probability that the Fed gives us another rate cut next week. We're also getting some powerful evidence from earnings season. Evidence that suggests the economy might be actually better than you think. You know, I just stay in the macro. It's taking a top-down approach where you start with the aggregate data and then apply it to the market in general. Instead, I like to take a bottoms-up approach, building a mosaic based on everything we hear from individual companies. Yesterday, we got some important pieces of that mosaic, and I got to bring it to your attention. First, there's Dow Chemical, a terrific barometer of the broader economy. According to Dow, the basic building blocks chemicals are finally bottoming in price. These chemicals are as cyclical as you can get. They're a great tell of the economy and the future. They're pure supply and demand. And if they're bottoming, that is a very good sign. Second, I like the way the more cyclical stocks with higher yields are trading. And that includes Dow. I follow a host of higher-yielding stocks, and they're universally doing better. Before, the only non-cyclical dividend stocks were thriving, right? I mean, but uh, now, uh, Caterpillar, how about that one? It reported a genuinely disappointing quarter, but its stock ended up rallying. It's, I think, in part because the 3% yield is good for it. Management reassured us that the dividend would not be cut. They're actually buying back stock. Same goes for Tanger Factory Outlet Centers. That was one I was worried about. It's a classic retail real estate investment trust. Tanger's numbers have been horrendous. A lot of people worried the dividend might not be safe. Yet the stock's been rallying here. I think it's because the market has a little more faith in the consumer than it did just a few weeks ago. Many investors had also lost their faith in Kohl's. They didn't think the dividend was safe, which is how it ended up with a 5% yield to begin with. Same, by the way, same thing goes for Macy's, nearly 10% yield. But it's heartening to see the rally in a pretty decent stock like Kohl's here. I also like the action of BP and Slumbers Day. Suddenly, Wall Street cares about their bountiful dividends again because they think they're safe. Third, there's some signs that September was a strong month in this country. Yesterday, Caterpillar reached some machinery numbers showing a very nice uptick in business. When we spoke to American Electric Power, the biggest power distributor in the country. They told us they felt the economy strengthening during the quarter. Intel painted a picture of amazing demand across all of its consumer and data center-oriented products. Visa says the quarter ended with 47 billion payment transactions of 12.6% year over year. That's gigantic. You could say all this evidence is anecdotal, but when you put enough anecdotes together, you get a comprehensive look at the economy. And what I see here isn't at all recessionary. Oh, don't forget about the Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan. He indicated the consumers in great shape. Don't forget that a bunch of industrials managed to put up the surprisingly solid quarters in the last two weeks, despite the worldwide slowdown. Think Illinois Tool Works, Honeywell, United Technologies. These are supposed to be really cyclical companies. But ITW just reported weak sales with excellent market and excellent earnings. And what happened? The market lapped it up. Now, what if you take away one of our bullish props? What if the Fed decides not to cut next week? I say the Fed would have to be nuts not to cut. Our international companies are still struggling, and only the ones managed by truly resourceful CEOs have their stocks holding up. The dollar's been a major headwind for uh, quarter after quarter. The auto companies need cheaper financing, which is based, by the way, on the short rates that are controlled by the Fed. There's no inflation which means there's really no reason not to cut. The idea that Jay Powell should save the next rate cut until we need it more is just plain silly, even though I hear it articulated all the time. That's like saying you should only go to the doctor once you get sick. You get sick a lot less if you just went to a regularly scheduled checkup. Think of this rate cut as a vaccination. Look, if we can take the recession thesis off the table, it's a huge positive for the market. Let's just hope the Fed listens to our pleas and gets it right. Stick with Kramer.
while we hear from the actual companies rather than all that macro data, you can tell that there are a lot of companies doing incredibly well and a lot of CEOs being able to navigate what are very choppy waters. It makes me proud, proud to come out here every night and talk about so many great American companies that really do great things. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Monday. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.